Welcome to Life at the Ballpark. On this episode, you'll hear the story of a third-generation baseball man whose dad was the first to greet Roberto Clemente on American soil. She said, when your father asked Roberto how was his flight, Clemente's response to your father was, me no like to fly. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's chilling when you think about 1972, New Year's Eve in an airplane. On a rescue yeah. mission. For Never the- forget it. Welcome to Life at the Ballpark, sharing stories from players, managers, and scouts, writers and broadcasters about their lives around baseball, from the sandlots to the big league ballparks. Hi, I'm John Frost, and my guest today is Mike Berger, a scout for the Milwaukee Brewers and a baseball lifer like his father and his grandfather before him. Well, Mike Berger... Thanks for sharing about your life at the ballpark. Pleasure. Good to be here. This has come up kind of suddenly that we're going to have this conversation because Mike and I were actually having a visit during a rain delay last night at the ballpark, and he started telling me all these stories, and I said, i got to get this on tape. I mean, you're a walking story machine. Yeah, it's. Um, uh, it, I am a walking story machine, and, and I think blessed as a result because, I mean, look, you're a lifer, I'm a lifer. Uh, this is 40-some years, and I haven't reached the age of 60 yet. I'll get there in September. So there's never a dull moment in this business. Uh, the relationships, heck, you and I have crossed paths for 25 years. And this is the first encounter we had last night. Sure. And yet, I hear your voice in my sleep <laughs> because you've been doing a public address here for God's oh so, oh, wow. so many years, twenty three years. So. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. So, uh, give me a little background about your career, because I mean, you've, you've almost done it all, haven't you? Yeah, I've been fortunate to have been exposed to quite a bit. There are a few things I haven't done, um, which I'm sure we'll touch on here momentarily. But, you know, I I was raised in a baseball family. I'm third generation. Uh, As I mentioned yesterday, my grandfather, Jack Berger, was a renowned sports cartoon artist at the Pittsburgh Press and uh, Hall of Fame type cartoon artist and an original member of the Baseball Writers Association way back when the committee was founded. Then my father, Jack, Jack Jr., comes along, if you will, and um, my father was brought to the big leagues in 1951 by none other than Branch Rickey. My dad was a minor league general manager. I think he was in Waco, Texas at the time. Um, He had done Brunswick, Georgia, Waco, Texas, and New Orleans. And Mr. Rickey was the general manager of the Pirates and thought enough of my father at the young age of 28, 29, don't hold me to the exact age, Brings the major leagues, brings him back to Pittsburgh, where my father was raised, um, does some scouting. The scouting offices in those days, there were three or four, five maybe. Mm -hmm. And then he eventually became the uh, director of public relations for the Pirates. Uh, Mr. Rickey was very instrumental in my my father's major league career. Paid for my father to uh, complete his college education at the University of Pittsburgh. Insisted my father have his business degree. So my dad didn't have that kind of money. And uh, Mr. Ricky fronted him the money for that. Um, Mr. Ricky also insisted that uh, my father, Jack, invest in this um, new concept that was hitting baseball at the time, the batting helmet. My father's been gone 22 years. Fortunately, my mother is still alive and very much of sound mind. And she recalls any number of these stories. But my father was, uh, would ride with Mr. Ricky, drive from Mr. Ricky with Mr. Ricky from Pittsburgh to, again, some of the minor league stops, whether it be Brunswick, New Orleans, wherever, and foam cutouts, little tub of glue, and these tortoise shells. 
and Mr. Ricky was going to introduce this protective headwear to the minor leagues. And uh, my father was instrumental in actually putting this stuff together and then eventually was fronted the money to invest into the ABC Helmet Company. So it was Ralph Kiner, my father Jack Berger, Branch Ricky, and the traveling secretary at the time, Charlie Muse. So I go on and on and on and oh on. Oh my but, gosh. So naturally I'm getting into this stuff, right? <laughs> I mean, when I, when I come around in 1962, yeah. uh, my twin brother, I knew what I wanted to do at a very young age. I gotta stay in this baseball thing and carry the torch. And, for 40 some years i've been very fortunate to have wow. done so so you went to forbes field as a kid oh yeah right yeah i remember the last uh, last game was a doubleheader against the cubs so interesting you bring that up doubleheader against the cubs after the last out was recorded and you know the seven eight nine thousand spectators are rushing the field and tearing up the turf and tearing down that scoreboard they played the national anthem i remember that as a kid just to try and restore some calm some civility to the other, the, other the, the the angry throng that was, you know, tearing down Forest Field. Did it stop them? I don't recall it, whether or not it did. What but an I, interesting yeah, idea. But I remember, I remember that, and uh, remember Forbes Field, remembered well. Remember um, going to football games or Steeler games there, but it was, you know, it was pirate baseball. And again, my by that time, my dad was the uh, PR director. Wow. So you're old enough to remember the '71 team. Oh yeah. That was your team? Locked. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, locked in. 420-game winners, Clemente winning the MVP, you know, Stargell, Jackie Hernandez, um, Sanguian, Vic Davalillo. Stargell's a left fielder at that time. Oh, yeah, huge, huge remembrance of that. Um, that's, I mean, I was locked in, man. And then I remember 72 when, according to most experts, that was the better club than the 71 club, and we lose on the uh, the wild pitch. Moose uncorks a wild pitch. George Foster scores, season's over, and the Reds go on to, to win a World Series. So. It's, it's funny, there's there's a team in everyone's history where that was the team when they were coming of age, learning to be a baseball fan, where they can recite the starting lineup for that team, just like you did for the 71 Pirates. Exactly, and yet I don't know my wife's birthday. <laughs> I, I, we've been married. I'm telling you, we've been married 34 years, yeah. and mental. Is it 1963 or 64? It's a mental block. Yeah. Now I'm sure she hopes that I would lean towards 64 because she looks younger than 1963. But I, yeah, I can remember everyone in that lineup. I can remember practically every aspect of that season. But yeah, is my wife born in 63 or 64? Yeah. 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 Good point. Well, going back to the 71 Pirates, it's a, it's a good transition to this because I know you have a remarkable story about Roberto Clemente. Yeah, I mean, um, I think you're referencing the one we shared last night. Sure. Um, so Clemente's first year in a Pirate uniform was 55. And he's traveling from San Juan to Pirate Spring Training which at the time was in Fort Myers, Florida in 55. So he's flying from San Juan, not to Fort Myers, he had to fly to Tampa because in Fort Myers was so small, there, there was no airport. <laughs> so the reason I know this is because my mother, again, going back to her, my mother's 89 years old and she's, a, she's been a baseball widow for however many years and just she's blessed with a wonderful mind. And um, all these remembrances, she shared with me two years ago Two years ago. Two years ago. Yeah, two years ago, I had her down for spring training here in, in Jupiter. And, you know, to get her out, and she just loves baseball. She mentioned to me that in that 1955 year where Clemente is coming to Fort Myers for his first spring training, she said, you realize your father and your grandmother, Marie, 
picked Roberto, as she would say, picked Roberto up at the airport in Tampa. And I said, what? She goes, yeah, your, your dad. Your dad was a PR man. Your dad went up, picked him up, and took his mother with him. Now, you're kidding. When were you going to tell me maybe this? Maybe the first time on U.S. soil. Well, yeah, because he, yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. Maybe so, yeah. Huh. I'm not sure where, because he was rule five out of Montreal, and I'm not sure if, if they would have come into the States, but okay. nonetheless. But still. Yeah. And, um, but he was certainly, the, my, my father was the first one to greet Clemente in an official capacity uh, as a member of the Pittsburgh Pirates. But the punchline of this story, if you will, is, so I said, Mom, when were you going to share this with me? This is remarkable. I mean, this is, you know, it's, it's fascinating. She said, well, you're, you know, your father and, and Roberto were very close. And I said, I know, but when were you going to share this <laughs> part of the, uh, the relationship? She said, well, I'll tell you something else. She said, when your father asked Roberto, how was his flight? Clemente's response to your father was, me no like to fly. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's chilling when you think about... 1972 and he ultimately had this you know this iconic yeah. figure sports yeah. figure i mean he's, he's bigger than sports loses his life um new year's eve in new year's eve in an on, airplane. on a rescue yeah. mission for never the, forget it for the uh, victims of the earthquake yeah, nicaragua yeah, yeah that's right wow so huh yeah and i believe now isn't the the humanitarian award in major league baseball named for him it is mm-hmm. yeah it is uh, all 30 clubs major league clubs have a uh, have a recipient a nominee, and then from the, that pool of thirty, they select one winner every year, and that's announced during Game Three, Game Four of the World Series. Yeah, wow, yeah, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Now you also have a family connection, do you not, with the nineteen sixty World Series? Did your grandfather? Yeah, my grandfather. If you go online, go anywhere. The uh, the nineteen sixty yearbook cover for the Pittsburgh Pirates. It's 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 canary yellow. It's gorgeous, and they have a they have the old Buccaneer on top of the world, you know, because they had beaten the mighty Yankees. And um, yeah, my grandfather, back to his artistic brilliance, he did every yearbook cover for the Pittsburgh Pirates from 55, 56, when that became in vogue, till his passing in 61, 62. And um, I know you can't see this, but I, I wanted to share this with you later on. Yeah. These are some of his. Oh my I gosh. Mean, I mean, look at this. <clears throat> this is this this is the type of talent that he was. So to do a yearbook cover, look at Willie Mays. My and gosh. everything he did was signed Burger. So there you see the Burger. Yeah. And if you look at the yearbook cover online, the 1960 World Series Pirates, you'll see Burger in you know in the bottom. And what's really neat about that is my grandfather did the cover. My father put the contents because he was the PR director, and as you know in media, especially back then, it was a one-person job, sure. one-man job. Sure. And um, so my grandfather before desktop publishing. Exactly. <laughs> so my grandfather does the cover. And my father's responsible for putting all the content as the director of public relations. So again, it's just been yeah. I'm going to brag on them. I'm going to brag should. on my father and my grandfather and you uh, and I'm baseball I, family. Yeah, it's a baseball family, and uh, as I said. From where I sit, it was very easy for me. Literally at the age of five or six, I knew what I wanted to do. You know, fell short in a couple areas, but I knew what I wanted to do. And and lo and behold, if I haven't done it. So I'll ask you the question. Then how did you fall in love with baseball? Obviously coming from a baseball family. Was there a moment in time where you went, well, this is what I want to do? Yeah, probably when uh, my brothers and I would all have the opportunity to go to the ballpark with dad on a Saturday or Sunday. I mean, like go in early. 
whether it's Forbes Field or Three Rivers. Go in at you know nine o'clock whenever you know he would go in and he'd go about his day. And I don't want to say we'd be turned loose, but we were you know we were the son of an employee, and mm-hmm. it's in the clubhouse. It's cleaning spikes. It's hanging up jocks, t-shirts. It's uh, just watching you know the Stargells, the Don Clendenins, people like that, and being around them, and just I just knew what I wanted to do. And then I found it important to spend as much time out on the field. I mean, at a seven, eight-year-old age, I go out in the field, throw a ball against the wall. You know, then the coaches, whether it's, you know, Murtaugh or whomever, saw that I was athletic and coordinated it enough where, you know what, hey, kid, going out and, you know, shag fly ball. You know, Stargell's going to take batting practice. Go just run these balls down. God. And uh, I still, again, it just to this day, you just think about <laughs> – and then it just you, know, you just take off, you take off, you take off, and before you know it, I'm a 17-year-old kid out of Pittsburgh Central Catholic High School, getting drafted in the fourth round in uh-huh. 1980. Uh-huh. So, tell me about your playing career. You played uh, 13 years. 13 years. 13 years of playing, never released. Had a fun career. Had pretty good numbers. There's and there's only two leagues, which I meant to you were going on the air. There's only two leagues that I hadn't played in, and that's the American and the National. <laughs> I played every other one. Every of them. other one. Midwest, New York, Penn, Carolina. You got the bus ticket to prove it. Absolutely, American Association. <laughs> Hell, there's not even an American Association now. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, yeah, 13 plus years and had an absolute blast and got close a couple times. Two occasions where I should have gone to the big leagues. Yeah. Um, and you were a catcher. And I was a catcher. Uh-huh. And then, you know, because of the uh, emergence of Tony Pena, Joel Skinner, uh, Junior Ortiz, I had to go find some other you know, some other positions to play because I could hit. And I played some third. I played a lot of first, played the outfield, and always had the, the catching tool, but was drafted as a catcher as a 17-year-old out of Central Catholic High School in mm-hmm. Pittsburgh. Was there a moment that you thought you might get called up? Oh, yeah, a couple of them. Yeah. Yeah, there were three for sure. It was either 85 or 86. I'm in the Eastern League playing for the Nashua Pirates. And um, led the club in home runs, led the club in RBIs. I was age appropriate. You know, I'm 20, 22 and a half playing in the Eastern League. I think it was 85. But, again, had a really good year offensively, especially considering how challenging that league was to hit in. The uh, parent club are the Pittsburgh Pirates. Commissioner... Uberoth that year wanted all 26 clubs to draw a million fans. Think about that. I remember like it was yesterday. All tw- there was kind of an unofficial mandate from the commissioner's office to have all 26 draw a million. And there were two in jeopardy, Cleveland and Pittsburgh. Cleveland in the old, you know, municipal stadium and Pittsburgh was in Three Rivers and they weren't coming because we were just coming out of the drug trials. Mm-hmm. So I'm going up. I'm a hometown kid. I had a good year, so it's not as if the numbers didn't did, didn't warrant. I could put some fannies in the seats. There's no <laughs> doubt about it. There's no doubt about it. Well, long story long, I don't get to call up. Instead, they bring Bob Seeger in. Bob Seeger has a concert, the last homestand of the year. It was a Bob Seeger concert and a uh, box chicken chicken dinner, and they just went over the one million mark, ah. like one million two thousand or something. One million and a chicken. Yeah, and one million and a chicken. <laughs> that was one, and there were other instances, especially in, when I was with Montreal. I mean, had a couple really good years there. Had a couple good years in Texas and AAA, and didn't happen. What are you yeah. gonna do? Yeah. So, so uh, you've done almost everything. You've been a farm director, you've been an assistant GM, mm-hmm. you've been... Pro scouting director. Pro scouting director. Yeah. yeah, right now you're scouting for Milwaukee. And you 
almost <laughs> got another job. Yep. Tell me that story. Uh, major league, major league major manager, league manager here manager. in here in, uh, in in Miami. Yes, yes. Tell me that story. Well, it was Mike Redmond's swan song here uh, with the Marlins. We got off to a rocky start, and uh, Mr. Loria, he had high expectations, and uh, I had argued with Mr. Loria about getting rid of Mike Redmond, and I had the position to do it. I was the assistant general manager. I'm a vice president. I'm being paid for my opinion. Well, we got off to a crummy start coming out of the blocks in 14, 13, whatever year right. that, that Mike was, was let mm-hmm, go. Mm-hmm. We have a lousy start, and we start off in New York playing the Mets, and that's you just don't do that. With, with Mr. Loria living up there, you just don't do that. Mm-hmm. So Jeffrey had Redmond in his crosshairs. and Did you know that he had his sights on you? For the gig? Well, not initially, but then he kept calling. He, he, I just knew that he wanted to make a change. And I kept telling him, you don't need to make a change. He has the clubhouse. Redmond's solid. He has the clubhouse. We're just off to a bad start. The guys respect him. No, no, i got to make a change. i got to make a change. So in very short, and Dan Jennings is the general manager, so DJ and I are talking about this. We knew that Jeffrey was going to make a change. He was tapping into his inner George Steinbrenner. It was going to happen. So a bunch of names are kicked around during this two, three-week period where Mike Redman is, he's pretty much, he's a walking dead man, if you will. Different names are thrown around, this, that, and the other. There were a couple interviews that were even conducted behind the scenes, which I won't go into. But then I started getting calls from Mr. Loria, and why don't you manage the team? Oh, you're kidding. No, no, I'm serious. Why don't you manage the team? He said, I'm getting a new manager. And he said, look, now Mr. Laurie and I go back to Oklahoma City. When I was a AAA player and coach, he owned the franchise. And uh, so we, we've been close for a long time. And then, of course, I managed in the minor leagues. I said, I'm not doing that. He said, why not? You've managed before. I said, Jeffrey, I'm not doing it. There's no way. I'm not qualified. <laughs> so this continues for about two, two and a half weeks. Finally, right across the street from where you and I are right now, my wife and I were in the uh, hotel here behind the ballpark, and uh, I get another call from Mr. Loria, and it's getting to that point where he is going to make a change. He said, well, are you going to manage my team? Hi, Jeffrey. How Are you going to manage my team? And I said, before I could even get it out, I said, no, let me guess. You're going to tell me. I'm not qualified. I'm inexperienced. He said, you need to manage my team. And I said, the answer is no. I'm not do- I literally am not qualified. I got Stanton. Ichiro, Yelich, I mean, no way. Martin Prado, yeah. no, no. So, 24 hours later, Dan Jennings is <laughs> Wow, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it was my, and our first road trip, had I accepted the job, our first road trip would have been to PNC Park in Pittsburgh. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I don't think I didn't think about that. Yeah. But yeah. the euphoria of doing that sure. would have worn off quickly because, I don't know. Again, to each his own. I didn't have the confidence in myself to pull that off that maybe Dan had in his ability to do so. And yeah. um, But I had a chance. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, you've got such an interesting baseball story, three-generation yeah. baseball family, and it's just so fun for me to – get you cornered here and hear about your life at the ballpark well i've really enjoyed it and uh, never a bad day at the ballpark right that's it tune in each week for a new episode i hope you will subscribe and share with your friends life at the ballpark is produced by jim governelli project manager is paul adams i'm john frost sharing stories of life at the ballpark